0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
2: Well, it's amazing what two wins can do for your perceptions of a week, isn't it? Three Premier League points and safe passage to the League Cup semi-finals seems simple enough. But it wasn't all plain sailing for City. The question is, despite all of that, did they actually play well? The next question, I suppose, is do you care? Either way, the outcome is the same after all. On today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking over the games against Southampton and Arsenal. Plus, we'll check in with fans of Newcastle and Everton to find out what's in store for City in this festive period. Sam Roscoe takes us back to the last time City weren't in the top four on Christmas Day. And spoiler alert, it's actually quite a while ago. And we'll speak to historian Gary James about the time City played on December the 25th in years gone by. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined by two City fans this week. I've got Howard Hocking. Hello. And from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. Um, so, gents, uh, a win's a win. Uh, Howard, it, it, I mean, I, I don't think either game particularly set the world on fire, but, you know, three points and in the semi-finals, can't ask more than that, can you?
1: No, if I go in reverse order, the Carabao Cup, we don't have to play well. <laughs> so, I mean, down the last three years, a number of poor performances from City have seen, and we've still gone through anyway. I don't know if you really take much from it, anyway. Uh, and I don't think, I think despite our dominance over Arsenal in many games recently, I don't think we've scored four against them at Arsenal. I think Richard Jolly said online since nineteen sixty one. So I'll definitely take that. And Southampton was just about the result, really. Uh, I didn't, I did go into, I get away into that game very anxious, to be honest. Uh, especially as Liverpool had already won resoundedly. and I just felt. I would never thought we'd just all our problems were going to fizzle away that day and all come together. I just wanted to see us put some some sort of a performance together. And they did that and they won. And, you know, it was an entertaining game. So all in all, it has been a, a good few days for City. I think much needed, really, because, you yeah, know, the mood was quite low.
2: Let, let's be honest, Adam, when Arsenal equalised, like uh, City, uh, it was against the run of play, but City hadn't created much, had they? That's that's the that's the nux of the matter here, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it, feel, it felt a bit of here we go again. We seem to start games well, and then shoot ourselves in the foot, and it becomes a slog after we've scored, and that was evident again tonight. Uh, I think it's a weird one that the score line actually. St- it says we battered them four one, and you take that every day. But it wasn't actually a four one game. However bad Arsenal were, we weren't as fluid in the opening, certainly fifty fifty five minutes of that game as you'd like to be. So it's just it, it was kind of a grind again, much like the last few games before that, the West Brom and United draws actually feel like defeats but I was looking before it's actually only one defeat in the last 19 games but it seems like we've absolutely just meandered on through this season it's crazy
2: yeah the thing is though Howard uh you'd say they weren't taking their chances at Southampton and we'll come on to that shortly um but they did take their chances against Arsenal because I mean it was it was three goals from the first three shots of the second half and we've been we've been crying out for City this season take your bloody chances
1: well, <laughs> let's be honest, not every week that you just hit it straight at the keeper and he throws it into his net. So, I I mean, others...
2: Liverpool have been getting away with that for years. Mate. Well,
1: Liverpool, yes, but we're not Liverpool. <laughs> right. I cannot remember. I think Paddy Kenny or someone's the last goalkeeper I remember just handing a goal to us. It just doesn't seem to happen very often. Uh, I mean, it's great that it's great stuff. However, it goes in, that's great that we obviously chase who's Mr. An excellent chance in the first half, but to have taken our chances, obviously glad of no VAR for Phil Foden's goal, but we took the chances. You <laughs> know, it's just after that West Brom game still scars me that, or well, even the Southampton. Thank God we we'll win his against Southampton going into that 90th minute because we had players who were didn't want to shoot from three yards out. So it's really nice. However, it happens, it's just really nice to see that four on the. Uh, on the scoreboard because as you say they took chances couple of headers was there, uh and kind of scores from the corner too, so plenty of positive to take from that. Yeah. And let's be let's be honest, yeah, there was a bit of luck with one of the goals and whatnot. But again, Arsenal, yeah, you know, the commentary was bizarre on Sky for Alan Smith, it was just like Arsenal fan T V but obviously less aggressive. It it was... Arsenal only had two shots, I think, of... I can remember the goal and one very late on for Pepe of any note in 90 minutes. So... Whether the score was flattering or not, City were clearly the better side.
2: Yeah, I mean the the thing is, Adam, we've been we've been trying to get a kind of some sort of shape of the old City, and I'm starting to I'm I'm sitting here wondering, am I asking too much of this team? Because for weeks and weeks and weeks, well, for all of last season, I was saying, look, sort this defence out, stop conceding stupid goals. And they've done that. They're not conceding stupid goals at the moment. The one against Arsenal, okay, Laporte's the wrong side of his man, but you know it's 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 seven clean sheets in eight games before that. So they're doing something right. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, but you know, they're getting clean sheets, but they're not scoring goals. I'm like, what what is it that I want? Do you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's weird how It's it's ended up seeming to cost us at the other end of the pitch you can only have one or the other which one is it do you want clean sheets or do you want goals ideally you want both and that's how you win games but i think we've been crying out since company left for that like you say that sturdy defense and pep finally has got it right i think it's probably the best defensive uh, stats you could have under pep that we've had under pep so and then our forward line have just <laughs> you know just avoided scoring for the last few games so i think now this could could really spear us on for a bit of a run now, like Howard touched on there. We've taken our chances. and In previous games, we've looked petrified, and that weighs on strikers and attackers. Bernardo, rather than taking a shot, decided to, Chip it back into seven Southampton players um, in the in the previous game, so it's 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 obviously been a mentality thing where we've been struggling up front in front of goal. But when you're coming off the back of four goals scored, and like you you mentioned, three of them were with our first three attempts on on target, you'd hopefully that rubs off and then sets us off into the festive period nicely. Yeah, I mean the one thing though, Adam,
2: um, how much of the, the the fact that City have scored five goals this week, how much of that is down to the fact that they haven't played teams that have put eleven men behind the ball?
3: Yeah, we always prefer playing teams that are going to try and match us, don't we? Uh, we struggle with that low block. It's been well documented in previous podcasts. Um, uh, well, if some, if someone comes and tries to play us, we'll do all right. I think I fancy us against anyone who tries to play us, unless it's Liverpool. Um, but so hopefully we'll face a different uh, proposition in Newcastle and Everton. I can't see them, you know trying to put too many men behind the ball Newcastle maybe more so than Everton but hopefully when we do get those chances we'll take them
2: yeah I mean the, the one thing that uh the goal at Southampton especially Howard it was it was like the old city under Guardiola they got to the byline they drilled it back across and there was it, it wasn't a tap in for Stirling it wasn't a gimme it was a nice finish uh but you know you'd expect him to score
1: literally the first thing I said when the score went. That's what we used to do. <laughs> That's yeah. a goal from two years ago. We've done it. You know, it's just like, just so rare that you have the overlap. It's the overlaps that we're missing yeah. lately, really. be it a fullback or be it any wide player. I just It's bizarre how we just don't get behind uh, teams. Uh, and, yeah, and especially in and Southampton aren't one of these teams, of course, especially teams that are just going to sit and play dead in the penalty area. It's amazing that we don't use width and we don't use the overlaps as much. It just you know the days of Sterling and Sana and each side of width and speed and yeah, yeah. It was nice to it was nice to score a goal like that. It's just such a classic city goal from the from earlier in the Pep era. Yeah. Do you know what else
2: would have been a, a classic city goal though, Howard?
1: Well, it's not one from a corner. So what is it? No,
2: it's it's uh, it's, it's the one that Adam mentioned, where uh, Bernardo Silva is pretty much clean through on goal from about eight yards out on his stronger foot, and for whatever reason, <laughs> I, Adam, I, I'm I'm not having chipped to the back post to Maris. He, he I, I've never seen anybody really cross a ball harder than that. You know, he, he gave him a volley by just just wanging it at the back post, Sam Lee said on uh, on our <laughs> podcast. And it's like, it, he's right. It, it, he just smashed it at the back post. So uh, there's times, isn't there, Howard, where you go, look, just have a shot. Just have a yeah. shot. You're in a good position. Have a shot.
1: Can I, what is it, though? I can't honestly, is it, it must be a lack of confidence. But yeah. well, well, Why would a lack of confidence when you're five yards out stop you from just putting a shot in? I mean, I don't understand why that would make you go, oh, no, I'll try and cuss it to the... F-. The other side of the area. Instead, I don't understand. It was twice. I mean, Bernardo. I thought I'd you know was were desperate to see the uh, the debut season, Bernardo Silva, and we you know try and pick up on anything. But I, I think I am seeing a bit of it, and a lot of yeah. it's just work ethic because he always just motored around the pitch and you know yeah. put in a lot of effort, and I saw that with him. But and yet it's tarnished because in two brilliant positions. He just won't shoot, and it's what makes it more annoying is that other clubs are up again. You know, our rivals are scoring for fun because they shoot. Yeah, because everyone else <laughs> shoots. West Brom shoot. You know, you just don't, just get in that position, and they've got to sat down these players and be shown those videos and told, just do not do that again. If you ever see get that close to goal, you shoot because even that. That one he crossed for Mares, Even if he just shot on goal to the far post, even if the keeper parried it, and Mares was running in and might have got to it. So you've kind of got two chances at a goal there. So.
2: Yeah, I, I just think though, Adam, maybe maybe it's getting to them. Do you know what I mean? They're getting into good positions and, and they're going. God, we're not we're not taking chances. I better. I mean, oh well, you know, and, and Bernardo gets there and he think, and he maybe thinks, well, you know, Riyad's got an open goal at the back post.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, I think it's weighing on them and the more it happens, the more it becomes a thing, so unless uh, Bernardo had a tenor on himself to provide an assist in that game, <laughs> that's the only reason I could think of like Howard says, you shoot across the goal there, you either get a tap in at the back post uh, you create another chance from the keeper pushing it out or you score yourself and I think, that, like I say, the more this goes on the more it becomes a thing, the more people recognise it, the more it's talked about the more pressure it heaps on them I think we could do with seeing Aguero Um, running the team from Aguero and he'll take some chances and hopefully that's the uh, monkey off the back then.
2: Yeah, because Howard, there was also uh, De Bruyne snatched an early shot on the counter attack where you'd expect him to score. Uh, Sterling, there was uh, there was one where I think it was Cancelo who was who was running past him and he was like he was clearly opening up the space for Sterling to shoot and he tries to play a, a pass into oh. him to like, like what's he going to do with it? You know, like just uh, oh, you can hear the frustration in my voice. Just hit it.
1: <laughs> well, it's just there's players out of form. Simple as that. I mean, when I'm saying it's just out of form, I do wonder if that is a confidence thing. I don't know if Leon scarred him. Uh, I always thought he's—it's not the World Cup final, but he stepped up to take that penalty for England against Iceland. In was it in the summer this year? It's just a blur. Yeah, I don't know. And, I thought, <laughs> well, and he stepped up and got the yeah. You know, it, it proved to be the winning goal. I thought, oh no, not why he's standing on a penalty for England. And I thought well, that's that shows his confidence doesn't falter. That the Leon thing hasn't affected him, and you know everything's going to be fine. Uh, but it just looks completely devoid of of uh, confidence. So with Kevin De Bruyne, he's shooting, his radar's not like that. The assists are still there, passes are still there a lot of the time, but he's lost the, the lethal touch in front of the goal. You know, hit the woodwork a few times, but I you know, I don't know what it is. I really don't know sometimes. With him, I really do think he looks fatigued mentally and physically because, you know, football has been non-stop. But with Ryan Stone, I think it is more a confidence issue.
2: Yeah, probably a good thing in that case that uh, that Sterling and De Bruyne didn't make it onto the pitch against uh, against Arsenal then, really,
1: Howard. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, I just want to see have a rest. I'm Sterling, I'm not sure, deserves a starting place right now. I mean, it's a temporary thing that we have no... I you was know, sort of looking at Phil Foden tonight I thought, oh, God, he's having a poor game as well. And he's been out of form for a while. By the end of the game, he completely rectified that problem and was you know, absolutely bossing it by the end of the game. I don't have issues about the quality of these players. It's just of the moment, really. You know, there's players yeah. that seem to be struggling and I don't know if they're just tired or... It's just the motivation in what is a very strange season in empty stadiums and, you know some teams and some players deal with it better than others.
2: I was going to mention Foden, uh, Adam, because the very fact... I mean, OK, it probably would have been VAR'd offside if it was in the league, but the very fact that he got on the score sheet against Arsenal, it's huge, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and he got an assist as well. So, you know, it was a great delivery from Laporte's, Laporte's goal. So I... I- Recently, I've been clamouring for Foden to start. And I always find recently with City that the players who are on the bench have the best games because the players on the pitch have been a bit poor. So like Stones, for example, tonight, when Laporte made his error, I'm thinking, well, there's Stones starting at the weekend. Foden the same when I've been clamouring for him to come off the bench. And he there's been a couple of games recently where he's not quite reached those levels. And again, I agree with Howard, I thought, the start of tonight was another one of those games where Foden was a bit ineffective, but he grew into the game, uh, got his took his goal well. We're lucky without with VAR; it would have been chalked off. Um, and then his assist, like I say, was perfect as well. So it's, he's having he's having more and more of an impact on games more and more often now. Foden, it's brilliant to see.
2: Let's just touch on the defense though, because uh, as much as uh, we've said that City maybe didn't play too well in these two games. Um, Arsenal scored with pretty much their only chance, as Howard said. Uh, Southampton, I don't really remember Edison having that much to do beyond catching a few crosses. So, Howard, yeah. uh, are you more confident in this defence at the moment?
1: Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, we, we don't say that, but it's not been. I mean, it wasn't against Southampton. I hate yeah you know, that phrase, double pi- uh, pivot. Uh, it's not always been that, but you know, just a more withdrawn midfielder sometimes alongside Rodri. And obviously the Diaz effect of hit coming in, and John Stones just, you know, rebought just the John Stones over a couple of years ago. So I am. And to be honest, I think I've said it elsewhere. If Southampton played at home against any side in the league, you know, Liverpool United, Chelsea City. They would create some chances. They're an excellent side with an excellent manager who are absolutely fine at the moment. So the fact that they did have a few you know, sniffs at goal and the odd half chance, I'm fine with that. We can't get, we can't start thinking that we you know any time the opposition have a chance, it's a disaster. I thought we contained them pretty well, to be honest. Uh, and it's just now. It's just a case of, you know, <laughs> so kind of dealt with that. Uh, I mean, it was a club record, that six clean sheets on the row. And, yeah, never you know.
2: quite made it to seven, though, did they? That's the thing.
1: Well, just one deflected goal. Yeah, ridiculous deflected yep. goal. Uh, and we could easily have got to eight. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just need to now convert the domination we have with the ball as well at the same time and just be more clinical up front.
2: Yeah. Uh final question. Uh, Adam you mentioned it uh, a couple of minutes ago. Uh it's Laporte in a bit of trouble at the moment with City because he's he, again at fault quite quite a bit at fault for Arsenal's goal. Can't really get in the team at the moment.
3: Yeah, I've been overly critical of Laporte recently. I was I was disgusted with his error against Tottenham. Um Pep came out out after the game and said we knew Kane was going to come short and Son was going to uh, run in behind. We'd worked on it all week in training and then three minutes into the game and that exact thing happens. So when he gets dropped and he was publicly dropped, we've known for a few games, six or seven games now, that he, he's he been dropped for that mistake. When he does come back in and because of Stone's uh, good form, every mistake that Laporte makes is going to be magnified. And I was, I was looking when the cross came in for Arsenal's uh, equaliser to say, where's Laporte? And he, obviously he was the wrong side of Lacazette then trying to get in front of him. And I think any other game in any other season for Laporte, you probably wouldn't be that harsh on him. But because the magnifying glass is on him so much now, it just just, uh, amplifies tenfold. And I don't think he's done enough with his goal tonight to warrant being back in the team ahead of Stone. So he's got a mountain to climb now, which is absolutely bizarre, because last season and the season before, he was one of the two best centre-backs <laughs> in, in the Premier League. Yeah, it doesn't make I, sense,
1: does it? I, I no. do <laughs> think he was covering a bit for Zinchenko. He was. Back, but, yeah, didn't, but he should always be concentrating on the guy that's in front of him. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing with Zinchenko. He, he's not a left-back, and I think one of his weakest parts of his defender is drifting in and covering that far post for Costs that come in, and I think Laporte yeah. was wary of that, and I did think Laporte grew into the game as well because he hasn't played really, but yeah, it's very weird, isn't it? You know, considering that we start the season with him probably being one of the first names on the team sheets. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. now can't get a game. It's funny, funny how things change in a couple of months, yeah. isn't it?
4: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.
2: Well, we always think of football's tradition being games on Boxing Day and New Year's Day, but as late as the 1960s, there were English League matches played on Christmas Day. City's record wasn't great. Obviously, it's City we're talking about, so obviously it wasn't great. Uh, I've been speaking to football historian Dr Gary James to find out more about how the club has done on December the 25th in years gone by.
0: The last one was in 1957 against Burnley, and, you know, players like you know, for example, Bert Traman playing in that game, debuting um Roy little, but you know some of the names that people will be familiar with, you know certainly Bert Troutman, obviously um and so yeah it's living it's it's certainly living memory in fact, Bill Leavers, who played in that game he's he's still alive and 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 so on, so it it's something that um I like you. I always think of oh, Christmas Day. It's, it's like a Victorian postcard or something, or a Christmas card or something. You know, a snowy scene and a few people in long, um, sort of shorts playing football with big, heavy jerseys on and stuff. But but no, it's living memory. Now that one in in uh, fifty seven fifty eight, uh, we lost, um, which we tended to do on Christmas Day, unfortunately. But this was sort of typical of the way the Christmas games used to work because you'd play home or away on Christmas Day and then the next day quite often you'd play the same team again at the other ground so the last Christmas Day game was against Burnley at, at, at Turf Moor um, which wasn't a happy place for us it was a you know 2-1 two, two, defeat and then the next day Burnley came to Main Road and we beat beaten 4-1 Um the crowd for that game was just well, forty-seven thousand two and eighty-five. So you know, these were quite often they were perceived as as big, important sort of derby matches as well.
2: I, I just looking at uh, at the teams that City have played on on Christmas Day because I I always in my in the back of my head I always thought it'd be it'd be a lot of local derbies just because of, of ease of travel and that sort of thing, um, but there's some there's some decent trips in there that City have made. I mean there's uh, there, there's a trip to Chelsea in there a, a couple of times. In fact, Chelsea they've uh, they, they went there twice. Um, you know, Plymouth had to come to Main Road as well at one uh, one year.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that chelsea is the the sort of furthest we've traveled on christmas day um but in 1946 47 um, you know we played we played plymouth at home on christmas day uh, which we won four three and then the next day we're actually away at plymouth so um from what I remember, I did some research about a few years back, and I think the two teams actually travelled down to Plymouth together on a on a train overnight, maybe uh, you know, on after on, on, on Christmas Day. So it's bizarre, isn't it? You know, <laughs> now we talk about uh, not just this year, but most years. You know, over a Christmas period, you don't you expect a lot of travel to shut down. Boxing Day is a nightmare to, to get, or usually a nightmare to get anywhere. Um, and certainly Christmas Day was out of the question trying to get anywhere. But these football teams, at a time when there wasn't widespread sort of coach travel or anything like that, are, are expected to travel from one end of the country to the other.
2: Let's go all the way back to to City's first uh, Christmas Day game uh, back in eighteen ninety six, uh, and again it was uh, uh, looking at the local derby nature of it all. It was Manchester United for for three of the first what five, uh, first, first six games. So,
0: yeah, well, the very the, the first one was in eighteen ninety six, and we we lost two one. It was at Bank Street, which is um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's actually next door to where the Velodrome is now. There's a, a BMX center, and that was basically where united's ground was in 1896 um and yes uh we lost that one but but the interesting thing about that was because it was obviously a local derby and so it was by far united's biggest crowd of a season it was 18,000, which was described as being enormous for united at the time and it was certainly bigger than any other crowd united had that season um but the the the, as, the main sort of aspects of that when it was reported, like years ago, I, I was doing some research on diving matches, and we struggled to find a detailed match report of that game because it was Christmas Day. But what we did find was comments in the in the newspapers for the rest of that week talking about how um, the crowd was so huge. Obviously, it's only eighteen thousand, but for the time, it was huge that people were on constantly getting onto the pitch and. It was, you know, it was difficult. People couldn't watch the game because fans were all over the place and all sorts of, you know, chaotic scenes. But Joshua Palbert, who was a member of the league management committee, but more importantly from our point of view, was an ex-city manager and was a director of city, but was supposedly attending the game as a member of the league management committee, he ended up making an announcement to the crowd. And he basically said that if you do not get off the pitch, the game. Would be post, but would be abandoned. I think he said, would be abandoned, and Newton Eve, which is Manchester United, would have to suffer consequences. (laughs) Now, this happened after city were losing so i can't help thinking Josh was thinking you know what we could actually save today by you know, abandoning <laughs> this abandoning this game we're Get the city top. fans
2: on the pitch yeah
0: yeah, yeah everyone on the pitch uh, which of course is a trick united tried all those years later with the dennis law relegation game but uh, yeah so you know that was eighteen thousand, um which was described as huge but by the time they had the last sort of um derby day on christmas day uh, which was in 1902 it was a one-all draw again at clayton but by that time there's forty thousand people there which shows the way well certainly the way united's crowds had increased but the way football crowds had increased and the derby then was typically a sort of forty thousand 000 sellout whether it was at united or at city
2: yeah let's let's talk main road because obviously this uh this Main Road City moved to Main Road during this uh, this period that they were playing on Christmas Day. Uh, the first one, again, you know, City being City, they lost to West Brom in, in
0: 1924. Yeah, um, 24 25. Um, it wasn't a, a, a sort of great period. At that point, City were um, still sort of blaming the move from Main Road. I mean, the, the first year after the move to Main Road, um, Got big crowds. Um, the the move sort of propelled City forward to some extent, but the pitch just was not good. And it, by 1924, people were still moaning, and the guy, the architect, was being blamed for it. Um, and so, you know, in the end, we got we got relegated. The well, it was the year after, but you know, we we were struggling and struggling. Um, and so, it wasn't it wasn't great. And obviously, well, the year after, in 1925, 26, we got beat. Um, six five by Berry, which is by far the, the sort of biggest result on a, on, on um, Christmas Day for, for us in, in terms of goals scored. Well, goals in the game, uh, but it was a six five defeat. And by that time, Alexander, who was one of the directors, was well officially was acting manager, um, but he managed the club for. Oof it was a bit like when phil neal managed us um back in the, the 90s it, it, it you know he was never permanently the manager but he managed us for most of the season in the end yeah. um and it was a season we got relegated so is it the 20s i mean we we had a lot of um games uh, on christmas day in the 20s but yeah they they weren't so great you know we in fact if you actually look at all the results for the 1920s we're you know 26 27 we lost 5-3 uh, in division 2 the year after, we lost four 0 You know, not great, not great results, really. Yeah,
2: um, just finally looking at uh, the managers of that time as well, because um, there's the, 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 there's been some change. But it was uh, Les McDowell who managed the most games on Christmas Day, uh, alongside Ernest Magnell. Um, uh McDowell obviously got got the most wins on Christmas Day as well. It seemed like like it was it kind of heading towards City's golden period in the sixties, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, maybe. It was a shame that we stopped playing on, on Christmas Day, really. And But yeah, I mean, Les McDowell managed the club for a long, long time. He was it a, was a great, great manager. And I always think, although you know I, I was born at the end of the 60s, but the 1950s feels sort of touching distance still. I know it's 70 years ago, but for me, it sort of feels like touching distance. And I've interviewed quite a lot of people from that sort of period. So these these sort of games and, and names mean a great deal. But Les McDowell was a great... Um, tactician really i suppose well i was going to say the pep of his day but but les quite often would um be perceived as being this tactical genius and would come up with various ideas and various plans um but unfortunately you know it, it, overall city still didn't have a great record on christmas day i mean when you when you look at the full stats we played what 36 games on christmas day we won 10 drew nine lost 17 not great um there's there's one season 1936-37 though that that I think it's probably just worth um, saying something about we lost 5-3 at Grimsby on Christmas Day so not a great not a great resort on Christmas Day but the next day on Boxing Day we beat Middlesbrough 2-1 and that was the start of a 22 game unbeaten run that then brought City the title so that season even though we had an awful Christmas Day it was the turning point the day after was the turning point if you like Boxing Day and I think when you look at Um, a lot of these games, they sort of come just in the middle of the season, obviously Christmas Day, when you either it sort of sets the tone for what's to follow, or in some ways it's the last last chance. Um, I remember years ago being told, actually, yeah, it fits with the 1950s, Bobby Johnston, who was a, a great, great City player, um he enjoyed let's just say he lived above a pub and he enjoyed his christmases um (laughs) and and new year um and although it's 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 not quite christmas day it's more a new year's day story but um because he lived across uh, above the pub he um he he wasn't always in the best um of well he wasn't peak fitness on match day um and this one particular, i think it was new year's day this one particular day um, he said to the other players look today ball to feet no don't do not send the ball to my head ball to my feet all the time and so of course what did Ken Barnes and all the other players do throughout the game ball straight to his head um, <laughs> and he actually scored with his head during the game so you know so <laughs> I suppose he he, he fought through his, his um I was going to say pain but I suppose it's more joy I suppose of, of what he was doing the night before for a pledge of two dollars a month You can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of City topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
2: That was Gary James speaking to me about City's performances on previous Christmas days. Uh, All the data for that interview came from uh, you, Adam, statcity.co.uk if you want more information. So thank you very much for that. It It was fascinating.
3: Yeah, a bit rubbish when you asked me to look at it. I thought, oh yeah, Christmas Day, festivities, and then we're actually really poor on christmas day so you're more than welcome though yeah
2: good job we stopped playing on christmas day really <laughs> uh, yeah.
4: with linkedin jobs we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need marketing wizards found them software engineers found that project manager i could never seem to hire and found LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Time to look ahead at uh, the game with Newcastle on Boxing Day uh, for this year. And to do that, we're joined by Taylor Payne from Pod on the Time. Hi, Taylor. Hello, how are we doing? I'm not super, thanks. Welcome to the show. Um, it's, I, I mean, uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to characterize Newcastle United in a certain way, but it always <laughs> seems to be a roller coaster for you guys. So, how are things at the moment?
5: Well, it's it's often like an episode of Coronation Street, isn't it? Our team, it's sort of, you know, you get a set up at the start and everything seems okay, and then suddenly things just go to bits, don't they? As the episode <laughs> goes on, um, yeah, things are things are weird at the minute. We we have no consistency whatsoever. Um, we, we seem to lurch from one uh, sort of close disaster and then we, we pull it back and we might get a draw uh, or we get three points. And then the next game, we go back to being utter dross again. So it's there's just no consistency. I don't know what to think anymore about this team. I don't know whether we're any good or not. It's, <laughs> I mean, we are not. We're rubbish, but it's just how I feel. <laughs>
2: Uh, I don't know about you, Howard, but that that screams Manchester City 2002 to about 2009, doesn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you could pick that one, or you could pick you know, plenty of others. So. <laughs> well, that that's the thing with Newcastle; they they do just yeah, you know, they do well enough, and Steve Bruce does well enough to really compel change in a way. And obviously, the false stones That's yeah, that sums up City in the past. It's the it's the hope isn't it, that something better's around the corner, and Newcastle have had that this year and had it. At least for now, anyway, just yeah. taken away from them, and that's what keeps you going as a football fan. It's in a way, mediocrity is the worst place to be because it, <laughs> you're just stuck in stuck in yeah. a yeah no man's land, just plodding along. And yeah, uh, I really wanted Newcastle to be taken over because it would have just shaken up and annoyed a lot of people. But yeah, maybe maybe in the near future.
2: Is is there any hope of that on the horizon now, Taylor, or has it just died again?
5: Well, um, I mean, there's there's been whisperings of legal action and all kinds of stuff over the last few weeks, and. And while it still keeps the conversation going, I think most ca- Newcastle fans are just sick of it now because we had it for the entirety of the lockdown. When the first lockdown happened, it kind of coincided with the story breaking and then everyone was suddenly very excited. But then we had nothing to do and nothing to think about apart from the takeover. So I think it slowly drove a lot of us completely mad, <laughs> uh, my, myself included and, and, and the guys on the podcast, because it felt like we were talking about it every five minutes and there was no other stories because there was no football. And there was no life. There was just takeover and waiting to see if it happened or not. Um, and and it kind of you know it went on and on and on. And I think eventually people just got sick of it. And I think now it's just rumbling away in the background. Will 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 it happen? I, I think it's the, the daftest question in the world because I don't think anybody knows. I don't. Mike actually doesn't even know at the minute. Uh, but I agree completely with what you said before there that it would have shook the tree massively. And I think there's an awful lot of people stand to lose an awful lot if Newcastle get taken over and one thing we know about people who have a lot is that they don't like to lose it so <laughs> you know we, we we'll uh, we'll see what happens with it but you know fingers crossed i mean it wasn't uh, for me it wasn't the the best situation anyway, because i wasn't overly uh, keen on the the people who were taking us over or who were uh, reported to be taking us over and, and you know some of the stuff that goes along with them um but if you look at it from purely from a football fan's point of view, you have to say, well, it's it's what the club needs. The club needs an influx of cash, and it needs it needs a bit of direction. At the minute, it hasn't got that. So,
2: yeah, I mean, I mean, the the story for a long time, in Newcastle has been uh, kind of like the Newcastle fans against Mike Ashley. Where where yeah. is all that at at the moment? Is I mean, how's the feeling at
5: the moment? I think we've just kind of shaken hands and called it a draw. I think we've kind of went, you know, you're not going to win, we're not going to win. We might as well just leave this until somebody else comes along with the money. I think most Newcastle fans realise that the problem, the root problem at the club, is Mike Ashley. I mean, you can blame Steve Bruce for the uh, and the players for the week-to-week performances and how the team are set up and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, if it wasn't for Mike Ashley, Steve Bruce wouldn't have a job, or he would, but it wouldn't be at Newcastle United. Um, So I think you can, we still, we still feel like Ashley is at fault for a lot of what's gone on in the club in the past and and currently. Uh, But I think we realise now that it's never going to change. Uh, and he is just the way he is. He's not going to suddenly become this, you know, this benevolent uh, benefactor of mil- billions of pounds, and just say, "Right, go on and buy, buy whoever you want, and do whatever you want with the training ground, and do whatever you want to the stadium, and, and I'll just fund it." He's not that kind of guy. So we have to realize that that's not going to be the case until he goes. Um, but we need a buyer. <laughs> that's the thing. That's always been the issue with this. Is that yeah. you need somebody to come along who's got the money to do it. Yeah,
2: uh, Adam. Given the the uh, weekend's revision to the the Christmas rules, um, I'm guessing there's probably not going to be any any fans in the stadium for this one. When it looked like there might have been, um, is that going to make a difference for you? Were, you? were you planning to to apply for the tickets or anything like that? I
3: wasn't. Um, I'm waiting for everyone to be back in kind of one for all and all for one approach. Um, but there'll be a lot of disappointed people for sure. The rule changes, you know, at the last minute, people have made plans and ho- entered ballots and stuff and. Made provision. So it's going to be a weird one where you're expecting there should have been fans there. I think for City as a team, we've not had fans back in the stadium yet. So it won't affect our mindset too much. Um, so nothing ventured, nothing lost, I suppose, on that front. Yeah. Uh, Taylor, have you had fans back in St James's yet?
5: No. And I think it's probably just as well, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> would, anyone, would anyone have applied for the ballot? <laughs> I don't think so. No. I think. Um, I mean, Steve Bruce's position would have been made a lot more difficult over the last few weeks if there had been fans in the ground, I think. Um, I think he's been, I think he's gotten away with it a little bit because we've seen a few years ago, we stopped Alan Pardew getting out of the dugout during a game against Cardiff because we weren't happy with him. (laughs) He literally, every time he stood about with his chair, there was just a chorus of boos and. You know names uh, of which i won 't repeat um, but uh, and he couldn 't get out of his dugout, and I think Steve Bruce might have been in a similar position and now I understand that there 's a lot of people who say, well you know there's a lot of clubs who 've got it a lot worse than you and 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 that sort of thing, and uh, you know you could be Sunderland, and let 's all be honest we don 't want back- <laughs> uh, but um, but at the minute, I think the thing that that most fans are so unhappy about is that everything 's just so turgid and backwards, and the, the football is just absolutely god awful. Um, so you know, I'd, I I think he would be in trouble if there'd been fans on the ground.
2: Yeah, with, with with that in mind, uh, the football being god awful, how how do you anticipate <laughs> Newcastle setting up for this one? Um,
5: I think we'll go for a flat back nine um, <laughs> <laughs> with Callum Wilson wandering around in the halfway line aimlessly with his hands in his pockets. Basically, I, I think that's that's what we'll go for with City. Now, in historically over the last few years, I mean even Rafa set us up very defensively against City. And I think Work, worked you know, a couple of times. Well, this is it. We nearly got we know it, and we nearly got results out of those games. And the reason why it worked is because when Rafa set us up defensively like that, there was a reason behind it. And there was a strategy and a plan. Um and it was to it was to try and sort of contain, contain, and then when the game got stretched and City started getting tired, we could hit them on a break or we could give, give them a, a a cheeky sucker punch, you know. With Steve Bruce and I'm not one for constantly going on about the comparison between Rafa and Steve Bruce. And I think it's, it doesn't benefit anybody to go on about that. But with that in mind, when Steve Bruce sets up against uh, what we call elite teams or top four teams, he, he relinquishes the ball completely. Um, the, the, the team drop right off, and, but we're so passive with it as well. There isn't an attempt to make a tackle. It's essentially you have the ball until you either shoot and score. Or shoot and miss, and then we'll have the ball, and then we'll give it back to you, and then you can do the same again. So, which which is the reason why we face more shots than any team in the league, why Carl, Carl Darlo's made more saves than every goalkeeper in the league, uh, why uh, Federico Fernandez has made more blocks than any player in the league. So, you know, the stats are there to back it up. It's when we're, we're, we're not particularly progressive, put it that way. Yeah, Howard, when you hear
2: that, um, how, how <laughs> would you? How do you <laughs> because, I I, I I, mean, there's two words that spring to mind uh, at the Etihad recently, and that's West Brom.
1: <laughs> well, no, it, uh, yeah, we've just described everything City team hates. So a team that plays dead is a team, you know, we hate to play against because we've mm. really struggled to, to break down teams that don't want the ball and don't want to attack. And, you know, at least last weekend, at least Southampton wanted to play a game and it was so more entertaining for it. Yeah. question is i don't know yeah with well, newcastle they are quite erratic as well uh, <laughs> that's that's a yeah. nice word for it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well it's a discipline needed to do that i mean i don't think it's that difficult to do that's what where city's problems have come from that so many opposition teams find it quite easy just to sit in that area and play yeah. passive but if newcastle do that then if city get an early goal it's you know it's different in a way though Probably thought that when we scored in the first half against West Brom. But if we don't, then it just becomes a problem again. I mean, it's it's obviously one we should win easily, uh, especially with all these clean sheets under you know, our belt. But if that <laughs> penalty, if the opposite penalty area is just full of players for ninety minutes, then well, we've been here many times before, yeah. I and mean, can see it being another frustrating night.
2: Yeah, Adam, do you, uh, do you get that sense that other teams sometimes sense an opportunity at, at City at the moment? If they can keep things tight and compact City can just, they can have shots for fun from the edge of the box but they're going to fly high, wide and handsome all the time.
3: Yeah, I think we're really easy to play against if you set up like that. If you don't want anything from the game more than a draw or to snatch a sucker punch oh, we're really, <laughs> yeah, we, we're really angry, easy to <laughs> sit back against. We're, we, we lack that killer instinct in front of goal. We've seen pre- petrified to take a shot and it will be limited to snapshots from outside the area that go high and wide like you say um so yeah i don't think if, if newcastle want to come and play that game i don't think they'll have any problems doing so
2: yeah um taylor let's uh, just a, a look at, at newcastle's team you mentioned Callum wilson uh, who are the mm. who are the players that are likely uh, if if to, to get that if there's going to be a sucker punch who are the players that that city need to watch out for
5: well, Callum Wilson's the obvious one. I mean, he's he, he's scoring goals. Um, a lot of them are penalties, by the way. But you know, in order—oh, we a can penalty, give them away. We can give yeah, them away. We can yeah. a
3: guaranteed yeah. gift wrap for that.
5: I mean, the amount of penalties in the league this season's been mad, hasn't it? If, since the since the start of the season, but it, you know, if in order to get a penalty, you have to be in the opposition's box, and that's not—that's what we're not very <laughs> good at. So it, it is tough to do that. I mean, um, we have some pace. Um, we have some players who are very direct. Um, And depending on the midfield that he plays, if he plays John Joe Shelby in there, who, you know, we all know has got a good range of passing, even though he can be slightly, uh, what's the word? What's the polite way of saying lazy? Well, he's lazy, isn't he? Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, he's lazy. Um, So we, you know, we we have options there. I don't think Sam Maximan will play, which is a shame because he's probably one of our brightest sparks, um, but he's been very inconsistent. Um, but we still have a lot of players suffering from the after effects of, of COVID and stuff like that. We've we've seen players breaking down with fatigue and having to be substituted not very long into games. Ferry Fernandez the other day had had that problem. I, do you know what? It it it's anyone's guess of what team will be able to put out, but. Miggy Almiron could cause some problems on the break, but he seems to be able to run in a straight line and nowhere, nowhere else, um, as long as he's got an open pitch in front of him. He's like, you know when you see people doing the land speed record, so they have to have like 15 mile of straight track ahead of them. Yeah, he's like that. He's put the ball in front and he'll run forever, but ask him to turn a corner and he's knackered. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tricky one for us, but if we get a chance, Callum Wilson's always there and there's always a chance he takes it, as long as it falls to him. If it falls to Joe Linton... The balling going in the net, unfortunately. That's just the way things are.
2: Well, we've uh, we've got a charity bet on the show coming up a bit later on. Uh, give us your score <laughs> prediction. I'll uh, I'll let you have mine. Um, three 0 city. Three nil city. Uh, Taylor, that's that's wonderful. Thank you very much for for
5: joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas, lads. Hope you have a good holiday. Yeah, yeah same to you. Man. And that brings us
2: to the game with Everton on uh, Monday night. I'm joined by Dave Downey from the Blue Room. Hi, Dave.
6: Hi uh, Dave, you okay?
2: I'm not too so bad, thanks. A bit of a nosebleed for you guys at the moment, isn't it?
6: <laughs> well, you, you say that, but then, you know, just such is the way the uh, the scheduling works, then we seem to drop a place every single day since. So it's not it's not as glamorous as it was after we, uh, we saw it off Arsenal. But yeah, um, the, the heady heights of the top four. Um, yeah, certainly a surprise at this stage of the season. Certainly a surprise after the start uh, we had, which was ultimately... Into insignificance by some really poor defeats and performances. So, um, I, I said before the Chelsea game, I'd probably taken six points this month, um, and I was sitting here with nine after what a week. So, um, yeah, back on cloud nine.
2: Yeah, it's it's really weird um, because uh, like for City, Howard, it's three wins in a row at Goodison, uh, five wins in seven. I, I was going to ask if the Goodison hoodoo is over, but then the last thing you want right now is an Everton that, that are getting good results, really. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, it, well, yeah, it, it is over in a way because obviously our record was. I have, I know you'll have the stats, or you two. I won't have the stats. It was appalling. It was so just to win there one, just nice. Uh, and I'm surprised our record is still, yeah, is that good? Because I know we won some games, but it's you know really tough place to go to. So I, to be honest, I don't think that really counts. Yeah, what happened one year, two years ago, just counts for absolutely nothing. We're playing next week. It's it's going to be a tight and very interesting game, I think. So yeah, it, it it helps a tiny bit that we have been there and won there. But of course, in the current climate, it counts for little
3: anyway.
2: Yeah, uh, Adam. Given how City have been playing in recent weeks, is this a case of which City turns up for this game?
3: Yeah, I think. Um... <laughs> you know, you never know with proper Jekyll and Hyde team. And I think Everton seem to have been like that recently as well. So I think on the day, it's going to come down to who turns up and does what they can do best. and I think whoever does that will win it. Um, like Howard says, it was a real hoodoo ground for us. I used to be petrified going there mid-noughties onwards round about that Moyes era where they just seemed to beat us 1-0 every every game with a kale header in the 89th minute. Um, so we do seem to have turned a corner in that respect. Um, and I think whoever turns up on the day, if they turn up with Rodriguez and Calvert-Lewin um, on, on form, we'll be in trouble. But again, we seem to have Shorter of defence, hopefully we can take our A game there.
2: Yeah, Dave, this is this is interesting because that, like the Everton fans that I follow on Twitter have been quite down on this season so far, and yet here you are, right in the top four, in the mix for things at the top of the table. I mean, how, how has it gone? I said, is it which City turns up? Is it which Everton turns up as well?
6: Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think uh, it, it's a it's a bookmaker's night, nightmare. I think this game, um, simply because well, you guys have been really infrequent with your results and the consistency and. Um, other than the last three games, I mean, it, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for ourselves. Um, in, in many ways, you become a victim of your own success. I think, obviously, you guys will have a different take on this, given the success you, you've had in recent years. But um, when you start a season like that, I'm, I'm really interested in the mentality of what a football club sort of pervades. And we we won those first four games, uh, drew against Liverpool in the derby, which is no bad result, and then we go to Southampton and, and Newcastle and. It didn't feel as if there was really that sort of arrogance I think you need to have at that point and that confidence that you're going to blow sides away, that you know it doesn't matter who you're playing, um, that the form should take care of itself because you're on such a high. And we, we lost those games and it felt like it was going to be another sort of mismatch of a season where there'd be the odd good result, but ultimately it'd be mid-table to trying to hang on to the coattails of people you know, we were challenging for European places. And then these this three results um, have just come out absolutely nowhere. Um, and now, there's a, again, there's a real confidence. But more importantly, I think for us, it's, it's much different to the starters. It's the fringe players that are starting to perform. So you look at Alex Awobi, you look at Gilfie Sigurdsson, players that I think many of us are willing to write off. And, and that's probably what you've seen, Dave, on Twitter, is that people are sort of growing a little bit sick and tired of these letdowns that we would call them. Simply because we wasted big money on, on the likes of a Woby Sigurdsson, our record signing for 45 million, and uh, effectively they still they still have to get a game given the squad limits that we have, and it's interesting now we're all sitting here talking about does James Rodriguez get back into this eleven, which is which I think is quite remarkable in the space of a week that we're able to possibly justify that argument, but yeah I think you're absolutely right I think it is it is a Jekyll and hard season for ourselves and um, you know all of a sudden now we've got a huge game. Um, with with City, and, and it effectively the, the two sides sort of neck and neck in terms of positions in the Premier League. I know you guys aren't used to that, but um, I, I feel as if it's the type of game that is a momentum starter for us. And whilst I say that, and we've had those great results against Chelsea, Leicester, Arsenal, I see City as a different animal, a different beast, because Arsenal felt like, it, it, it was not too difficult a result for us to pull off, given the, the plight that they're currently in. But I look at City, and I think it's the type of game that's really dangerous if you think that you're going to get something from it. Um, and, and I know you've laboured to some results. The Southampton one wasn't pretty at times. But it feels to me, in the way Guardiola talks, because I listen to him every single week, and the way he speaks, I just can't help but feel somebody is going to get a real pasted soon. Um, because he's talking about these chances. Funnily enough, I, I was watching um, the game against Fulham and I was looking at that thinking, you know, th- there's a lot of talk. I'm sure you guys talk about it all the time about a striker and um, perhaps who's the long term successor to Aguero. Is Gabriel Jesus going to provide the goals? And I was looking at City thinking, Dominic Calvert Lewin would absolutely fly in that side. Um, just given the, the plethora of chances it creates almost every single minute in games um, that you don't quite take at the moment. I look at that and I think if City are going in for a striker, I'd be petrified if I'm Everton because I could see them having a serious look at Dominic Calvert Lewin.
2: How I was going to ask about Calvert Lewin simply because um, he's been getting the headlines this season. Uh, Mm. What's changed for him?
6: There's there's a general perspective and awareness I think he brings to this side now that isn't just one of being, you know, just just flogged all over the place. I mean, you look at the trajectory of his career under Coom and. Um, you know, under Allardyce, he was basically flogged on, on the channels and told to run for everything, told to move out of position. He even played the right wing back remarkably at one stage, which is, you, you laugh about that quite often when you look at what he's doing now. <laughs> but I, I think when, when Duncan Ferguson got hold of him, I think when Ancelotti's come in, they've given him, him a much more focused role. I think he's always had the physical attributes and he's a natural athlete. Um, but he's just basically been told to stick between the posts And he's got this real knack of arriving exactly when he needs to when a ball comes in. Because we we do have the luxury when he's fit of Luca Dean on the left-hand side, putting balls into the box. Seamus Coleman, probably a little bit less so on the other side. But they they drill these low passes in sort of on the half volley and has this amazing knack of getting there ahead of the defender. Um, He's just an absolute beast in the air. Um, he, he just leap on him. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Merseyside derby, but the, the goal he scored to equalise in that game, it, it's ridiculous the height he gets on his jump. Um, and he, a lot of us early on in his career, when you saw the sort of bare bones of him, looked at him and thought, there's, there's, there's Harry Kane attributes there, and by no means am I comparing him to Kane even now. I think it'd be ludicrous, but when you look at a striker that is really good at a number of things, pretty much everything you need to be as a striker, um he, he fits that billing without being exceptional at one thing. And now each one of those facets of his game are growing more and more. And he, he just looks like he's going to score every single time he plays. And if he doesn't, he's the perfect isolated striker. We have, we have games, Leicester, I was complaining at Leicester, where he's up front on his own. There's nobody within 20, 30 yards. But he's, he's so clever in how he uses the ball when he, when he gets it. Um, when it goes up to him, I mean, he'll his, chase his own flick-ons. Um, his chest control is brilliant. He, he's generally, I think, he, he's one... Uh, he'll definitely be in the England squad next year. I make no bones about that, but um, he's a top-level striker now. And um, I, I see him as somebody who will, if, if Everton keep him, probably break our all-time Premier League goal-scoring record, uh, which was set by Lukaku. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's just completely transformed. And it's been, it's been difficult for him because we've had Allardyce, we've had Koeman. He's been played out of position. He's played second field to Lukaku when he was here. And that patience has really shown. He's, he's, he's the ultimate professional. Really good lad. And yeah, he's just going from strength to strength right now.
2: Adam, when you look at, at City's defence recently as well, they've, they've been keeping a lot of clean sheets. Um, they've not really faced a striker like Calvert-Lewin, though, have they? That's, that, 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 that could be the difference in this game.
3: Yeah, definitely. I remember a couple of seasons ago, Calvert-Lewin came on at the Etihad and we couldn't live with him. He came on, I think he scored, and then he gave Otamendi, I think, a torrid time. So uh, that movement that uh, Dave mentions there is a a real threat. Our defence have looked likely like we're going to be able to 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 cope with a defender like that because of how... uh, John Stones will probably want to get one over on his old club as well. So there'll be that personal battle there between those. I'm sure they know each other. Um, like you say, it is our first test with this new defensive partnership that we've got where they're facing a striker like that. Um, we've certainly you know, defended the box well. Whoever's been arriving at it, we've not given up many clear-cut chances with this new partnership of Diaz and Stone. So if it is that, and you've got to think the amount of games around the Christmas period, will we even see a, a settled-back four or certainly a settled-centre-back pairing to then have to deal with I'm sure it'll, it'll feature in Pep's mind, uh, Calvert Lewin, how we're going to deal with him, and you've got to think on um, current form between the striker and those our defenders. It'll be an epic battle, but I hope we come out on top. And I'd fancy us. I think John Stones might just want a personal battle with uh, Calvert Lewin that day. It's
2: it's funny, Howard. Um, when you when you think of going to Goodison and, and expecting tight games in the past, I mean, in a weird way, I don't think I've ever expected a game as tight as this one's going to be. Does that make sense?
1: No, you expect goals, basically, because, as you say, one goal conceded eight, we're struggling up front. So we've had to sort the of defence, otherwise, I don't know if the, how much the two are linked. I, I, I don't think the direct links, I don't think we sorted the defence, and it's made us miss loads of chances. It, there have been games where we just haven't created much, but we have now reverted back to creating chances and just missing them and not wanting to shoot in front of goal. So I do. Th- I mean, trying to predict this season has been impossible. I, I mean, just look at Everton. You know, after that start and then they tailed off. And I thought, and my thoughts earlier with Everton—they've got a cracking first eleven, but I'm not sure about the depth. But as Dave said. You know the the more peripheral players are putting in performances now, and both teams play at eight o'clock on the Saturday. So forty six hours after that ends, they'll be playing again. So we're really into the unknown with this game because both teams will have to pick probably two different teams over that weekend, or at least make four or five changes. So we've no, we can't really predict who's going to start the game for both teams. So. <laughs> saying it be tight I do expect it to be tight at least in the first half because I think City will want to dominate the ball and just not give anything away but you just don't know which players are going to walk out onto that pitch mm. and predicting stuff this season is just impossible I mean we can say yeah it'll be a tight game and then it'll just be a 5 all thriller so those to be honest <laughs>
2: Yeah, Dave. Um, looking at uh, how Everton are likely to set up for this one, like Howard said, it's yeah. it's almost impossible to predict anyway. But but have a go at it. Are, are, are you likely to, to to press at City and and uh, uh, and try and put them under pressure, or are you likely to to kind of sit back and and try and keep things tight?
6: I I think we'll see a similar performance to what we saw against Chelsea, and that was. Basically, can see that we're not going to have more of the ball than City. Um, sit back to a certain extent. I think Ancelotti, what the, the real sort of secret behind these recent decent results that we've had is the defensive line he plays. He, he's now fully aware and understands the the deficiencies in there, and they come at centre half by way of a lack of pace and. The, the real interesting one for me was the Leicester away performance. Because um, for years, Jamie Vardy's been the scourge of when we've gone to the King Power. Um, oh, tell us about uh, yeah. it. <laughs> well, exactly. And, but that's been that's been because we've had Michael Keane and or Yeri Mina and a, a couple of other defenders who've been and gone generally who are quite slow. But there's been an insistence on the manager of the day to play a higher line. So Vardy can just play on the shoulder. And you, you know the rest of the story, don't you, when he gets in behind. Um uh, last week against Leicester um, he decided to drop them a little bit deeper I'd say about 10 yards deeper and Vardy didn't get a sniff um, the, the real threat and he, and he came from set pieces for Leicester um, from, from from corners mostly um, he actually missed the sitter from a set piece but there was none of that running in behind there was none of those balls down the channels um, it was shored up and there's a player for you guys to, to seriously watch if he does play and I expect him to at left back Ben Godfrey uh, he's been sensational. Uh, £26 million from Norwich in summer. He's just been a revelation. Um, he can fit in in any area across the back four, uh, can even play defensive midfield. But he's been in at left back with Luca Dean being absent. And this guy, I mean, his pace, everything about his game. Um, he's one of those players who does the basics sensationally well. Um, and, and he's been a real star in that back four. It's interesting because it feels very negative to say this, but we've played four centre-halves in the back four because Seamus Coleman's been out, so we put Holgate in there. And like I said, Godfrey's been in for Luca Dean and Keane and Mina. Um, Michael Keane, by the way, starting to look every bit of the defender that we bought four years ago. Uh, he's really come to the fore and he looks every bit a leader as well. Um He's been fantastic. And I think Ancelotti's now got to grips with the best way forward for Everton whilst they haven't got... Rampaging fullbacks in the team is to be as rigid and as structured as they possibly can in that defensive mould. And a lot of the game happens in front of them. The defenders are more comfortable with that, and um, they shouldn't lose a header. When you look at like six foot five, six foot six with Mead and Keane so the real secret is is, is him being drop, being able to drop that line. And then we've had Alan, who hopefully. There's a chance he'll be fit, probably not, but it'll be a Davis and the Corey or Andre Gomez and the Corey in the midfield. The uh, Corey's been another great great signing for us. I think Hamas will come back in. It'll be Hamas or a Wolby on the right, with Charleston on the left, and uh, Calvert Lewin in front. So it'll be a 4 3 3 that can sort of be be quick in the transition and get more men behind the ball should it need to. Um, and uh, Everton will play up to Calvert Lewin all day long and try and get bodies. In and around him, so I, I expect Everton to sit back. I expect City to have most of the ball, um, but I think on the counter attack, Everton could cause some real damage. Yeah,
2: well, it's uh, it's. I, I think the, the battle there in this game is going to be City's defence and Calvert Lewin. I think that'll be yeah. that'll be the key one, in, in, indeed. Um, Dave, before we let you go, let's have a prediction for the game. We do a charity bet a bit later on, and I'm crap at it, so I'm going to give mine to you.
6: <laughs> oh God, um, I think it'll be one-one. Um, I think, and, and I bite your hand off for that, by the way, because I think City are just, if you let your guard down against the City side, I still think they've got the ability to pummel you. So uh, I'm going to go 1 1.
2: Cheers, Dave. Thank you very much for being part of the show today. No, pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Well, it was close, but no cigar on the charity bets for this week. So let's try and put some cash into the kitty at Christmas. Each of the panel has got a £10 correct score single from William Hill. The winnings are going to the Christie Hospital in Manchester. Uh, two games, Newcastle and Everton. We heard from uh, Taylor that he's predicting a 3-0 win for City against Newcastle, which is 5-1 to and £50 if he's right. Uh, Howard, what are you having?
1: I'm going to go, fancied that, but I'm going to go 2-0 to City, yeah.
2: Uh, a fun- functional victory a functional 2-0 victory is 11 to 2 and 55 pounds if you're right Adam what are
3: you having I'll go 1-0 City and I'll throw in Sterling first goal
2: uh, we can't <laughs> our first goals I'm afraid <laughs> but we can do 1-0 uh, that's 17 to 2 and 85 pounds if you're right uh Dave Downey uh we just heard a minute ago said uh it would finish 1-1 at Goodison Park which is 7 to 1 and 70 pounds uh Howard uh, what are you having for this one
1: Obviously bid on the eggnogs. So i am being brave here. I'm going 2-1 to City. So.
2: Uh, a brave 2-1 City win is 13 to 2 and £65 pounds if you're right. Adam, where's uh, where's your money going?
3: I'm going a bridge too far on that one, 2-all.
2: Two 2-all two is 14 to one and £140 pounds if you're right on that one. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on Responsible Gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, this season is only the third time since the Sheikh Mansour takeover that City will spend Christmas Day outside of the top four. Of course, this time there are some mitigating circumstances. They've played fewer games than in previous seasons and the table is still taking shape. On top of that, City still have a game in hand on many of the teams above them as well. Nevertheless, they're outside the top four and it's a long time since that has happened. Here's Sam Roscoe to explain more.
0: It's the most wonderful time of the
7: year. Christmas might be one of the most wonderful times of the year, but for the Premier League, it's also a pretty good indicator of how well teams are doing. And City have been doing consistently well. Both times they've been top on Christmas Day, they've gone on to win the league. And the last two titles won from a trailing position at the festive season have been City's as well. On top of that City are the only English side to qualify for every one of the last 10 Champions League tournaments and they've not been outside the top four at Christmas since the 25th of December 2009. That was when Roberto Mancini was brought in after a record seven consecutive draws left the club in eighth. I stayed in Inter Milan for four years and I won seven trophies in four years and
6: the end of the season it's like me. This is our job. You stay in a club
0: uh, for many years, sometimes two years, years, it depends. I don't know, but uh, I don't, I don't want uh, look, uh, look back because I stay here for to train. I,
6: I, I think and I hope to stay here for many, many years.
7: His first win in his first match against Stoke on Boxing Day took the team up to sixth. It was his first experience of a packed Christmas schedule.
0: In Italy, this is impossible, to, to, to games in three days. But uh, for England, is a, a
6: normal situation. Uh, but now we we must think after we recover for one day, and after, we we think the the matching involved.
7: He went on to beat Wolves and Blackburn in the next two matches too, taking City up to fourth. It was the poor form under the previous manager, Mark Hughes, that had led to a disappointing position at Christmas. But that was nothing on how it had gone for the Welshman the previous year.
1: It was just one of those days that uh, you don't get very often, and uh, and it was very exciting for everybody involved, uh, and even for people who weren't that closely involved to it, uh, to understand the, the news that was. Coming out was great for everybody, and um, moving on from that day, I think uh, the excitement surrounding
7: the whole club and what we're trying to do here hasn't hasn't lessened in any any degree. That was Hughes speaking in his first press conference after the takeover in September 2008. There's
6: more attention really um, on ourselves, which maybe in the past has has been centred on on the opposition when you go up against the the top four. Now actually, the,
1: a lot of the focus is is coming. To our doorstep and that's something that we will have to deal with but um, I don't sense that there's any apprehension about that I think uh, there's a real sense that uh, this club is going places that's the message we're trying to get out and uh,
7: we're going to enjoy it despite being the newly crowned richest club in the world though City were struggling five wins in their first 18 matches two of them before the takeover had even happened had left City in the relegation zone on Christmas day it was the first and so far only time City have been in the bottom three on December the 25th. After a run of just one win in eight games, City travelled to the Hawthorns. Moore wants it back. Moore gets it back. He's never scored for West
5: Brom. He has
7: now. May take try to get a touch onto that.
5: A little bit of confusion as Casado back him. It, and it's gone in. What a remarkable goal that But
7: not going for it. Despite equalising in the 86th minute, City still lost the game and sat 18th in the Premier League on Christmas Day. A run of 10 points from the next possible 12 saw them move up the table but they missed out on any European football finishing 10th. Ever since that season and the one after, City have both been in the top 4 at Christmas and they finished in the top 4 as well. This year they've had 5 or 6 games less than normal so there's longer than usual to go and they've a game in hand too. Pep Guardiola might not be where he wants to be this Christmas, but there's still plenty of time to put that right.
6: Hi, it's Nikki Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over
4: soon.
2: Sam Roscoe there and it's time to finish now with Ask the Panel get your questions in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter you can email us as well through the website bluemoonpodcast.com uh, we're also on Instagram as well go and find us on there just search Blue Moon Podcast uh, NP81 on Twitter asks now Mendy seems to be fit again would it be worth reverting to the back three tried at the beginning of the 17-18 season given how well it worked it might provide enough defensive cover to allow more creative players like Foden or Bernardo to be on the pitch with the Bruyne especially given the fact that Aguero is being Back into the team now, and Torres and Sterling can be used as options up front. Um, Howard, what do you reckon? A, a, a back three a, a, is that? Is that something that might might suit this this team?
1: It might do, yeah, because what you lose really is the the width. Uh, now I'm no tactical expert, but <laughs> if you yeah. looked at it, it was the struggles we've had from like Sterling and Marios out wide, this kind of solves that in a way because obviously you you got two full full-backs instead. Higher up the pitch, if Laporte's coming back into form and or you know his form will surely return at some point, then we have three excellent options at centre half, and to play them all makes sense. No one DM only needed, and yeah, you you could Bernardo and Foden, as mentioned in the question. Can I don't know? Does Pep want to play them centrally? That's the issue, or will they just you know? Will they stay out wide? I think it's a quite an option because, as I said, it could work better to have the likes of Frodo and Bernardo drifting out wide and coming in than having what Miles, you know, Miles and Sterling for me have still you know have very disappointed seasons so far, uh, and even with Aguero back, it it could work. But yeah. I'm just wondering, Pep, because we've started getting these clean sheets, I'm. I would not expect to see it soon because I think he's just trying to perfect the system that we're currently shaping at the moment.
2: Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, Adam? Why, when City are defending so well at the moment, why would you rock that boat?
3: Yeah, I think that's the only reason that would stop him going for that three at the back because it's working so well at the back. and it's. Pro- I Like I said before, I think this is the best defensively we've been under Pep. And it, interesting, a couple of seasons ago when Pep was asked why he doesn't play um, Gabriel Jesus and Aguero together a lot, and he said it's because mm. Mendy's not fit. And I guess he sees Mendy bombing down that line and um, whipping balls in for both Aguero and Jesus. So I think if we did play... Uh, three at the back with Mendy out wide would see a lot more goals being scored because I think Pep would actually want two strikers on the pitch uh, in Gabriel Jesus and Aguero. It's just something I remember him saying a couple of seasons ago. So he certainly had that thought process, uh, like the question suggests as well. So I could certainly see us scoring more goals. I just worry what it would do at the back after we've finally seemed to have sorted that.
2: Yeah, it would. It would though. Um, Adam solve the, the the blasted in, inverted wingers problem.
3: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm thick to death of that. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that dreaded word, the dreaded word of inverted wingers and double pivot will haunt me for the rest of this season. <laughs> the season. Inverted yeah. anything, yeah. But then
1: Mendy's <laughs> disappeared now, hasn't he? So, I don't know, is he out of favour a bit at the moment? But with Cancelo getting game time, so... I mean, play Cancelo, I guess, bombing up that side, but, of course, not a left footer, so... Uh, I just don't think Petwood would gamble with it just yet. Maybe later in the season. I
3: I think it's going all right. We don't need to roll the dice just yet. Like you say, we seem to be picking up a bit of form. Uh, we, We seem to be shoring up and I don't think he's going to roll the dice just yet.
2: Yeah, well, I'm I'm drifting in and out of confidence for this season. After the two draws the other week, I was like, ah, oh, they're never they're never going to do anything this season. You yeah. know, all, all it takes is a win in the league and the winning the Carabao Cup, <laughs> and suddenly that. I'm like, yeah, you know, they're only a couple of points. Win the game in hand, they're only a couple of points off the top. They'll do it. They're going to do it. So yeah, I honestly have uh... no, no idea how to read this season. So uh... <laughs> cloud nine for Christmas. Cloud nine for Christmas.
1: They're Not losing many games, so I don't know. We we'll will be a cup side this season. We'll see.
2: We'll see. Uh, well, that brings to an end our final show before Christmas, but don't worry, there's plenty of Blue Moon podcasts to look forward to over the coming weeks. First up this week's Patreon bonus show is a look at the players that are featured for both City and their opposition for the next game, Newcastle. That's available for everybody who backs by $2 a month or more, and you'll get four or five bonus shows a month for that $2 as well, so it's well worth the money, even though I would say that myself, wouldn't I? Uh, all the details are on patreon.com forward slash Podcast. On top of that, we'll be back on Christmas Day as 9 Yes, nine of our regulars are taking part in a big city quiz. It's all a big laugh, and it's perfect for when you're peeling the spuds or trying to get a few minutes away from the rest of the family. These two are in it as well, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to give anything away, but, you know... There are people who do cover themselves in glory, and people who don't. So I'm not going to I'm not I'm not going to say who's who, uh, but that's going to be in your feeds from Christmas Day morning. If you've enjoyed the show, please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. It does help others find us, and that helps us pay the bills with the ads as well. Thanks to my guests this week, Adam Carter, thank you very much, and Howard Hawking.
1: thanks for having me on.
2: Have a lovely Christmas, and we'll be back after the quiz show with another regular podcast next week before the new year. See you then.